Welcome to the Property Development Book Club podcast. Please be advised that panel members are expressing their own views and opinions, which should not be construed as advice. The audience must carry out their own research and consult an appointed professional for advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Development Book Club. Um, Today we're going to be talking about how architects can lead on the profitability as well as the design of schemes and the discussion is going to be led by some pretty amazing architects. Um, So definitely a must listen. Um, So my name is Jeremy Aladrin. I am an architect, development manager and uh, table shaker. Now, start with Ade Wale to introduce himself. To who to start? <laughs> I was going to be disruptive from the beginning. <laughs> Hi there, my name is Hugh McEwen, I'm an architect, and uh, my practice was named Young Architect of the Year in 2020. Trying to follow on from that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Ayo Ajayi, uh, I'm a chartered quantity surveyor, I'm a regional director at Chorus Group. Um, and yeah, I'll be um, the QS resident panel, QS for this discussion. Hi, I'm Yemu Nembe Holness. Um, I'm part one architect and planner. I work as a regeneration manager for Lambeth and do consultancy work across London. Hi, I'm Amandeep Kalra. I'm an architect and urban designer by training. And I'm an associate at BeFirst where I wear hats of being a client, working in procurement, design, brief writing, etc. And hi everyone, I'm Adewale Demolake. I'm a senior development manager Charter Planning and Development Surveyor. I'm also a blogger on A Late Dreaming, as well as um, the director of A Late, the founder, and I'm also sponsoring this season of this podcast. Fantastic, thank you very much, the disruptor. Can (laughs) see how this is gonna go. So, I am unashamedly um, biased, but I'm gonna start by saying architects, well, we bring the creativity, the flavour, the colour, the aesthetics, <laughs> the problem-solving skills. Um, we provide design team leadership, um, add value, whether it's maximising light space, adding functionality. Um, we play a big role in bringing confidence to stakeholders, but ultimately also confidence to the local planning authority. Now. One of the highest priorities in terms of expectations from a client is that the architects are also commercially minded. Do architects recognise the monetary value of our efforts? Should we be capitalising more or uh, learning how to better articulate the value of what we do? Many architects feel that we're undervalued. Um, Are we just sensitive? Now, starting off with you, Hugh. So yeah, I think architects, particularly their value can come in where they really understand what the client is looking to achieve with the scheme, you know, that, and some of that will be monetary and some of that will be other values that the, that the client's looking to deliver as well. So it's really about kind of articulating that through the design mm-hmm. so that those designs then meet, you know, those values which have been, which have been kind of transferred. I think on the monetary side, I think that there are a number of aspects that the architects can, can, can kind of address and we'll talk about those today. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's really that kind of wider vision that's mm-hmm. really, really important. Brilliant. Andy, what are your thoughts? I, yeah, I think uh, some architects clearly have recognised that there is a gap 
in that field of architects being seen to be very commercial. Um, and they've kind of taken that mantle and, and are almost known to be the kind of commercial dream team that a lot of developers would go to because they know they're likely to get guaranteed planning, they're likely to get a very straightforward, predictable outcome. Yeah. Uh, but you will see that in the result of the architecture often. Mm. Um, then there is the, 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 the far end of it where I think architects um, perhaps aren't necessarily aware or maybe not even interested. I've worked with quite a few that aren't really interested yeah. in, in being commercial. You know, what they feel that they bring is a very big artistic flair and, and, and that's what they're kind of known for. And you go to those individuals because of that. You don't go necessarily to them because you want regular affordable housing design. Mm. Then I think there is a cluster in the middle um, who are increasingly recognising that yes they do that and yes there's an understanding of commerciality but it's bringing those two things together, not being this very commercial architect that mm. has lost value of design and, and not being like cost-o-matic because we operate in a world where everything revolves yeah. around cost. And some of the things like Hugh's talking about um, are, are kind of people in that space where they understand that the value they bring by being able to sit on that table with a client and actually make suggestions that would alter the design in a cost-positive way yeah. and improve the quality as well. Mm. And so I think there is definitely a good movement in that direction. Brilliant. So Naomi, you have some kind of architectural kind of training, some background in architecture, and you're now commissioning architects. So what would you, what would you say about the value that architects bring? Yeah, I mean, I think from the start when I, you know, freshly coming out of university, you know, you think what, as an architect, you are meant to be bringing that kind of that creativity, that mm. innovation, like a really strong understanding of the context and, and what, what the building or the development is going to look like and what impact that will have, you know, socioeconomically. Mm. Um, but I think on the, on the other side, so I, I commission a lot of architects, I think it's really important for architects to understand, as Hugh mentioned, you know, the brief, understanding exactly what the client wants and needs mm. um, and having like an overview of everything. I think I'm not expecting an architect to come with that strong commercial kind of focus, but I want them to have a broad understanding okay. of, of costs. Um, but most importantly, it's that innovation and that engagement with stakeholders that I'm looking for from, from an architect. Okay, so that's interesting. So at the beginning when I was bigging up architects, I could feel some eyes burning on me to my left and to my right. So I would love to hear from Ayo. Um, as a QS and an architect's best friend, irony completely intended there. And <laughs> I don't want it as a, as a client. Do clients and the wider design team, QS, etc., perceive the value that architects bring? Is there a difference, do you think, between what clients value from their architects and what architects believe that um, clients value from what you've heard today? Is there a disconnect there? Ayo, let's start with you. Um, so, so it's, it's a difficult one to answer. I think there's examples I've got of projects where the architect has fully understood the brief. Um, we, we talked about briefs, so let me just zoom back and go back. You know, really understanding the brief is the fundamental. Um, Eighty percent of the of the budget is set right at the outset, right? And a lot of the time, there's no architect. A lot of mm. the time, um, yeah. it's very very sketchy information, right? So um, my task, uh, you know, envious envious task is is to set the budget correctly, knowing the client's objectives, knowing what they mm. want to achieve, 
very and, and it's it's difficult because not all the clients even understand their briefing yeah. at that point, right? So that's that, that that's one of the challenges. Um, a good architect will very quickly learn to understand and get under mm. the skin of what the client's trying to achieve. It always helps if the architect has worked with this client before, yeah. but in the instance where, where where they haven't, or where where I've seen it work best is mm. you know. I would like to, right at the beginning of the project, once the team's assembled, just, just relay that to the architect. So where I've seen it work well is we sit down as a project team, engineers as well as architects, mm -hmm. um, and just really try and um, distill what the client's um, and, and brief is. Sometimes, you know, there, there's just no money and we just yeah. need to try and achieve the, the best <laughs> that we can. Other times there is, there is, and we'll come on to, you know, what what is value mm -hmm. so i've seen it to answer your question i've seen i've seen it very that yeah. you know it works best when the client is so when the architect is connected with the client's brief and fully mm -hmm. understands what they're that you know there are other architects who who just don't care right yeah. all they're about is getting their next award yeah and, and, and that, no, <laughs> no matter what that is what they're going to be pushing okay. you know? they don't okay. push and there's times when you know sometimes the architect thinks they're the client Okay, that's a brilliant segue, Tadio Hollow, because I know he's got some thoughts about this. So over to you. Pete got me asked a question, so I can come up with a very structured response to that question. Yeah. So do clients and the wider design team, but maybe you just focus from the point of the client, um, mm -hmm. perceive the value of the services that um, we as architects uh, bring? And is there a difference, do you think, between the um, what clients value from architects and what you've heard that we believe that you want from us? So I think as a first point, I'll just mention that I think architects are integral to the success of most projects. And because of that power that they yield over a wider design team, um, that is where the issue is. <laughs> and I'm going to explain why. Okay. So for instance, um, you will tend to find that myself and I, development manager, quantity surveyor, mm -hmm. we tend to see things a similar way, yeah. where we want things efficiently, and we want to make sure that we can manage cost sensibly mm -hmm. so we can get a return. That's number one objective. Okay. We now move to the second objective where we appreciate design, but the architects appreciates it a lot more than we do, mm -hmm. and then they appreciate it so much so that the design KPIs that we care about that allows us to make a return and a sensible return somewhat is ignored and the way that's thrown a lot of detail that we don't even have time to be able to understand what the KPIs are. So, when I, so I say all of that to say is, yes, architecture is valuable, 100%, mm -hmm. but on the flip side, I think that when we, when we go back to architectural training, yeah. I don't think you were taught, taught about profit. Mm. You wasn't taught about Correct. how you do a development appraisal. Correct. Quantity surveying, my guy, they would have had to have understood um, um, building economics mm -hmm. in its very standard format. Yeah. I don't think you guys get to understand no. the detail of building economics. That's so correct. having um, a sensible size core, water flow ratios at a reasonable number. That's stuff that you guys have probably been asked from a quantity surveyor. And then you'll probably ask the quantity surveyor, how do you measure it? So what you need to do then is, <laughs> You need to measure it from over there to over mm -hmm. there and then divide it by X, Y, and Z. So what I think because of the fact that architects are generally taught from a specifically designed perspective, mm. there is a disconnect between our expectations, which is yeah. very commercial, mm -hmm. versus um, a person who is, um, whose creativity yeah. is in design and taking 
putting too much commerciality into that might yeah. destroy that design. So I mm-hmm. think there's an appreciation and I think that there is an inherent conflict based yeah. on the training, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Interesting. I, I, I do think that clients appreciate, obviously, the value yeah. of architects, of course. And I think that's why a particular client will choose a particular architectural practice mm-hmm. depending on, on, on where they go. So there's no... Um, there's no understating the importance yeah, of, very of, 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 of architecture. Yeah. I don't want I don't want that to come across as yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying. No, and I'd like to add that also I think from a client's point of view, we like to look for consortiums as opposed to just an architectural practice. Because you're looking for a team where you know that architects have a track record of working really well with like a QS yeah. so that they can, you know, work well together, understand, you know, all those little things that are important to understand about cost and yeah. still having a quality scheme at the end at the end of the day. Mm. I think that's so important. It's, it is that team and it's yeah. that kind of mutual respect of mm. understanding like what each person is bringing to that team and how that's going to drive the project kind of forwards. I think because yeah. yeah, I think really it's it's as a whole kind of optimizing something mm-hmm. you know? mm. and it's all these different aspects which you know yeah some will be kind of can be pushing against each other but it's about finding that that ground yeah. you know where you optimize it i think the point about brief um is is really good because it there are different types of clients and i'd say there are clients that are much more self-aware and intelligent and they have done so much work on themselves that yeah. they are very assured about they have a really good idea of what works, what doesn't work, what they want on the site, what the yeah. metrics they want to measure. And there's other clients that actually will employ an architect, arguably when I would say they shouldn't yet be employing and, and spending money on an architect before they've understood what it is what they, they want. want yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot There's a lot an architect can do kind of to kind of fill that out, but that is time spent on not designing. And, mm. and that's not to say architects don't have that skill, they do. But at that point, I think a client, when they don't understand that, need to recognise, I am getting an architect on board to help me in that yeah. process, stage zero, which very few architects are actually mm. appointed to do, but end up doing that because they quickly realise actually they don't know if they want a community centre, they don't know they want this, they mm. don't know yeah. how tall they want, they don't know all these other things that they haven't been considered. Mm. And actually they could spend two months, three months, without putting pen to paper, but just thinking about stage zero. Yeah. So I think there is a there is a, uh, that works both ways. As a client, you need to recognise when you're in that position and employ yeah. a team to help you with that. Mm. When you are in a position where you are very articulate, at that point, I think it's choosing the architect and being very clear on like what you were saying. We've we've got a really good, very clear set of our KPIs, isn't it? About yeah. floor to floors, how many we want for core, etc., etc. Mm. As as are some metrics. And we share that on day one, actually in the ITT process, people know the metrics we're working mm. to. And, it, and that's better for architects, because yeah. architects know, right, they, they've done all this work, they know what they're doing, they've got their stuff together, and I'm, as long as I work within that, I have freedom. Mm. When you don't know, you're like, are you, you almost test stuff, and then they go, no way, that doesn't yeah. work. And then you're like, well, I didn't know that. So it's, it's, it's that understanding, yeah. I think, um, of, of where, what intelligent level and experience level the client mm. sits at. Six, yeah. So works quite it would be great then actually oh yeah this next one's for you to start off with and then everyone chip in how from your experience how or do you think that architects can lead on building kind of profitability as well as kind of bringing all their skills in terms of design yes i think they i think they can lead um and 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 i i I will rely 
um, heavily um, on my architect. I, I say that because once I've set um, the, the, the budget uh, for the project, say stage zero, RIBA stage zero, stage one, and we're working through, um, the architect is probably the most important um, initial um, consultant that I'm working with. I'm, 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 I've, I've, like I say, relayed the information I'm yeah. working with. It's so important, this collaboration. So they're not working in, in silos. Yeah. And they're not working in isolation. Uh, and then we're working together. And, yeah. You know, by the time I, I, I want to present my stage one, I'd like to think that again. I've run, I've run, I've run through it with the yeah. architects. I'm making sure that the the design aligns with the cost, uh, especially at kind of stage three. You know, mm -hmm. so when when we're going towards planning, um, it's really important to ensure that the uh, the, the the design is, is connected, and the architect has a significant role to play in terms of the materiality. Mm -hmm. uh, and like I say, if the, if the brief has been set from the outset. You know, we do a number of options, we'll look through, we'll know where the challenges are on, on the project as we're going through the design stage. Uh, and I will rely on the architect, like I say, to, to, to provide some of those yeah. solutions. I'll look at what I've done previously. However, um, as the architect is fundamentally responsible for, for the overall design, it'll be, you know, they've got a, a role to play. So if they're good, if they know, if they're um, open-minded, um, then, then um, they'll help me and, and, and the engineers yeah. and the rest of the design. Uh, team to go forward, so I do feel feel that they play uh, an, an an important role. Okay. And, but I also feel that sometimes it's it's uh, I don't underestimate my role mm. in making sure that they're informed, right? So okay. making sure that the information is, is yeah. clearly there in terms of you know we've we've got a whole full budget, but we've set into elements. Mm. So for the facade, this is the amount that yeah. we've got. Mm. This is the comparable, and this is so sometimes you know we talk about value engineering. But a lot of the time, the engineers, the design team, don't really know what the starting point is and where the mm. prices will come from. So yeah. I, I don't underestimate my role in mm. making sure that they're fully aware and versed, um, so that we can, you know, as I say, uh, collaborate to okay. make sure that we we uh, achieve the client's goals. Okay. Would you Would you agree, Adewale? Yeah, I think what 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 um what I mentioned is 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 very important because you know you get um and I'm not I'm not going to mince my words here. You get quantity surveyors that just do a straightforward process where they're not challenging elements throughout the design stages. Mm -hmm. And it's very much, Reba stage one, give me the design, cost it. Reba stage two, give me the design, cost it. Reba stage three, give me the design, cost it. But what should be happening, and, and this is where, um, for us, myself and Hannah, who's sitting over there as, as development managers or development directors, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, um, so, um, I think that from that perspective, I think that if we can have hands-on QSs yeah. that are managing the, um, the elements mm. properly throughout the stages. Yeah. So as an example, if there is a facade system that we would like to proceed with, mm. I would be expecting for someone to tell me how much that facade yeah. is. And not only from, oh, it's a square meterage point of view, I'm going to speak to these suppliers yeah. and then we're going to be informed based on the existing design that you're mm. presenting. And this is what comes from being, um, I think it's, it's a mix between architecture and quantity surveying to a degree, yeah. but more so from a cost point of view, I think it comes from a QS. But the experiences I've had today, I've not had, and I'm just going to be honest, I haven't had what I would perceive to be a very proactive mm. quantity surveyor in the realms yeah. of which I'm explaining. Yeah. I agree, yeah. 100%. I've not had an experience. What you're saying at IO is what, we, what I want. Yeah. Uh, and, and, not to, and to add to that, I think why that's so important with what Adewole is saying is because when we think about building and, and when we talk about cost, you mentioned it straight here, we went to facade, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's the thing everybody can see, it's the thing everybody says it's mm -hmm. the nice to have because you've yeah. got a nice spec. 
What what about the over-engineered structure? What about yeah. the MEP that nobody challenges because yeah. it's assumed it's technical stuff the engineers yeah. take care of it and it has to be there and it's rarely interrogated by QSs. Well, actually, how what system are you using? How is that duct run done? Or like that structure? They benchmark a lot. They benchmark, yeah. but but not to actually get to the specific. Very rarely, structural yeah. engineers MEP are, are challenged about their design. Yeah, because it's assumed that is the skeletal structure of yeah. a of a being and it doesn't need challenge because yeah. it has to be there but i think that's that's where like the proactive nature of a qs who maybe has some in-house structure and mmp expertise mm. to go actually you know you could definitely lean this or actually if you change that structural system to this that's just a 50 percent x amount of saving we don't even need to touch the the bit that we actually see that we attach to the building mm. is the bit that we challenge straight away it's when the it smallest part of it's, it's actually the so smallest part now, I mean, you would know the what, percentages structure and MEP what percentage of that is of, 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 of a sort of so for, for size could easily be up to 23 24 percent of, mm. of the overall cost but of course MEP as, as, yeah. as well overall yeah. is, is yeah. a significant amount um, I do think and MEP means again. Sorry, so that's mechanical um, and electrical plumbing. And then facades is it's basically the envelope of the building. Yeah. So what a lot of people see, um, mm. and we talk about facade because you know, it, it, like I've like I've mentioned, it's it's, the, it's a high proportion of the, of yeah. the cost. But again, it's what everyone's precious mm -hmm. about um, mm -hmm. planners, planners as well as architects. Yeah. But the reason I say that sometimes I think you know un, un, until that if that if that interrogation isn't done. At every stage, and that's this, this is my point. I feel value management, like, you know, mm. value value engineering, which is which is a part of value management, needs to happen at every stage, even if we're on budget, yeah, yeah, right? Absolutely. So uh, you know, I, th I think the c common mm. practices, right? We're on budget. Off you yeah. go, carry on. Yeah. Rather than always looking at opportunities to save to save money or yeah. to create value, and the reason is, you know, if, if, if there's if, if, if at stage three you want to do value engineering. Already, you've already kind of dis determined what you're doing in the frame. You've kind of determined what you're doing in the ground. And unfortunately, it's it's the nice and shiny things that people that see, like the tent, which sometimes, exactly, and you, you, mm. look, you, you can easily be in a position where you want to save 10%, uh, but you're, you're looking at, you know, kind of 5% of overall costs, you know, um, elements, because you're not looking at, and sometimes it's too hard to, to, to reverse back, because mm. you've, you know, everything you've you're designed is, pre yeah. is it predicated on, on Elements you've you, you raised a good point because you know in terms of maturity in developers yeah. and that we've been speaking about when I was in countryside properties they would not submit a planning application until uh, an estimator mm -hmm. has scrutinized the design mm -hmm. to shreds mm -hmm. complete shreds and then at that point in which they're comfortable with whatever budget they're going to get that's when they submit and I'm assuming it's the same for you Hannah as well so whereas in the public sector we do something similar but there's a lot of things. So a lot of the problems in cost-wise yeah. generally come out before you submit a planning application. Mm. Yeah, Shoot. but in yeah. some instances, like Shoot. from our in, from our perspective, working yeah. in the public sector, the problem comes after we submit a planning app yeah. determination. Yeah, and then we're now getting a builder on board. That's when the problems start to materialize, yeah. and it's a nightmare. Mm. And it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare because it's very hard to reverse <coughs> back from yeah. that position. Yeah, right? exactly. And also, it's in planning. They've seen the nice and shiny. They're yeah. not. And that's the point when you said about you go for the easy, yeah. perceived yeah. easy way. No one wants to re-coordinate the structure around <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like, what can we write? Okay, so I think we, we're a good point here where I think we can start to talk about, and Andy and Hugh, I'd love you to come in here. 
come in from the angle of uh, cost versus value. And I've had some very heated conversations with Adewale <laughs> about this in the past, but I want the, the two of you to come in um, here. So I think when we think often of cost and um, value, often the focus is on uh, capital and immediate cost of a development rather than whole life cycle um, costs and management. And I think there's not enough consideration put on uh, value. And I guess also some things are difficult to quantify as well. And development managers, QSs, often, you know, we do like to have actual costs put, put to things, especially when we're doing our um, kind of financial appraisals. Mm -hmm. um, and I think sometimes now we're at the stage where we start to talk about, uh, especially those of us in the public sector, where we um, reputation is also really important. And um, our customers or our colleagues in the customer service team um, having to deal with, you know, irate residents. It's a big, it's a big part of expenditure in local authorities, housing yeah. associations. Um, and can we start to put a number of actually what that's costing us to really have all those people all working to just defend our schemes for us and, and make sure people are, are safe. And also we now have the social housing white paper, which puts a lot more emphasis on um, resident satisfaction uh, as well. So um, I think, uh, and I also touch on the point of uh, looking at full life cycle of projects. And I think, again, those of us that have a long-term interest in the properties that we develop, so housing associations, local authorities, we're looking at 30 years, 40 years, 50 years worth of investment. And I think, you know, that long-term, even though what happens a lot as well, I think uh, those of us in the delivery team and doing our appraisals, um, you know, we're not thinking that actually hold on, even though upfront costs might be coming out of our budget, you've got the maintenance costs and that's coming out of another budget, but ultimately it's coming out of the same organisational budget. So let's talk about cost versus value. Architects first, please, <laughs> before the QA <laughs> and the client. You, you asked a lot, uh, uh, there was quite a few points in there, I'll yeah. try and remember some, but in, immediately let's just say, Separate out um, when you've got a client who is building to sell and have yeah. very little to no interest in maintenance. And mm. for that for that type of client, you are not going to be able to have that conversation of let's replace that product with this product because this has a 30-year life cycle yeah. versus 20 years and that. Mm. Don't care. This is, the capex on this is cheaper. I'm not maintaining this building. Mm. Bottom line is more important. I would say that that is the approach. And, and that's not a bad approach. The business model runs on a profit to stakeholders to that result. There is no benefit unless there is other market factors that will force that. Where there's housing associations and local authorities, there is more of that rigor. However, I think there are some sort of, there are boundaries between departments as well. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, and I've also spoken to other, um, other large housing associations who would say, we almost have a bit of a wall like we, we we again work in our bubble of developing and just handing it over to them even though you're yeah. the same organization without mm. saying actually it is the same pot of money <laughs> recirculating yeah. so actually if we can halve your costs yeah. and put more money in that way yeah. let's redirect that and there is value to be added there mm. there's also models like the way that a whole life cycle um, assessment is done sometimes by uh, a maintenance organization are outdated models. So mm. for example, if 
let's take the window again as an example. If if that if, if a particular spec is uh, is a product that will last for your usual like twenty years, and you've got something that Garrett claims to last for forty years, yeah. and it costs let's only say twenty percent more, there's an instant saving there over that period of time. But a lot of, uh, particularly ours as well, the maintenance model that actually assesses that whole life carbon, it does not take that time change into account to mm. calculate that. So the model is not really set up yeah. to take that into, it will just still apply 20 years and capex cost. So that all you're then just saying is the higher capex cost, mm. which means it's like you have to rewrite the model to suit a, to suit, a way yeah, of thinking like that to begin yeah. with. So yeah, value and cost coming. We'll probably touch on to value engineering later, but I think that that's become a really dirty word. And I yeah. think <coughs> but, but what you said, Ayo, about like bringing it in earlier, I think that is such a good point, idea and point about removing the kind of negative connotation everyone's now understood. What was actually a term that was about really generating good value. How can we take this bit, make it better, yeah. and save some money on it, also, and then spend mm. that money somewhere else? Never about what we know it to be now, which is... And then when you mention it, that's what people think. They don't yeah. think, right, let's work really hard. Because yeah. all you get is, when we get value engineering, list back, cut that, take that, yeah, that look this back out. It's never like... <laughs> Let's replace that spec with this, this. which is very similar yeah. quality mm. and similar. It's rarely that. Take this off, take this off. Yeah, yeah, and then one yeah. director comes in, tick, 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 tick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it is. So the definition yeah. of that needs to come back to what it always used to be. Yeah. Which is, it's lost yeah. that definition. Value yeah. engineering, um, I was actually going to ask if you could just explain because there yeah. might be some people might not know what it is. Mm. I, think, I think, I mean, they just did. Yeah, well, uh, but, but, but again. Uh, yeah, so really it should be about driving uh, good value out of a design. Yeah. And the point of it is so if you take a, let's say, the design of a facade and it's got a particular brick, you've actually managed to procure a very similar looking durable brick for you know 25% less of the cost. It's lighter, it means it's. What you've done is you've not changed anything about the quality and the way that that building looks. You've actually saved some money whilst maintaining cost and often yeah. actually improving quality yeah. to spend that money somewhere else. Mm -hmm. How it's been misconstrued now is when people say value engineering slash costs. It's cost cutting. Mm. It's, yeah, it's, it's cost cutting. And, and actually, value engineering sometimes is spending more money Thank but you. achieving better yes. value. So yes. it's not always over the life cycle, the the cycle yeah. of the project. So Absolutely. it's not always about mm. just saving money. Yeah. Um, the models need rewriting, rethinking. Yeah. You also talked a bit about um, people's perception didn't you like, yeah and and yeah. that and i think that's another thing that we often don't bother doing like mm. if we hand over a building we finish stage seven nobody talks about the yeah. you know post handover post evaluation yeah. post occupancy mm. service you ask many architects how many of you have done this i would say maybe one percent or two percent yeah. have ever been asked and paid to do a survey do like that yeah. we're doing a few now i'm doing a pilot on a project right now we're gonna, and this is one of our first projects that we will be doing this, both uh, qualitative and quantitative. Yeah. The amount that's going to teach us from like understanding, firstly, what residents feel about yeah. those spaces that we imagine that they would feel mm. to rewrite our briefs, but also the performance. Yeah. We build in all these performance things and we model them. Remember, this is all imaginary. Unless someone actually tests it, we say this is, we build the whole building on the prediction of an energy demand will be like this, for example. Then you come to measure it, it's doubles. So you've been doing everything Wrong. wrong. We need to design to much higher standards yeah. if that's the result. But we're not measuring it, and we're a we're a dataless industry in that sense. So I think that, and then we can drive value again there because yeah. we know actually the building's much better than when we designed it. Mm -hmm. So we could, again, 
we can't we can reduce the engineering over-engineered building or actually this bit's really bad but that learning circle needs to happen so we don't do the bespoke project each time which i keep saying is a problem of the industry Brilliant, I thank you. Agree. Yeah, it's really about bringing uh, yeah optimizing things at the start yeah. and bringing that through but also yeah starting to develop these tools mm -hmm. and sort of see where some of those opportunities are because I think some of some of this uh, knowledge can be kind of baked in. You know, yeah. mm -hmm. it is how designers approach things. Mm. And you look at uh, you know compliance and you look at standardisation as as tools to kind of do that. But then actually starting to use other systems and other kind of uh, more you know more digital tools to then start to do that. Um, we've started using a, a piece of software called Build Partner to give us early costings on on the designs that we're producing and then use that, that costing information as a design tool to make value-based decisions. So there are lots of ways that yeah, those, those systems can then start to be brought in, but yeah, at the end of the day, nothing's going to be a QS having a, a cost card or something. Still need a QS. Thanks for watching. Make sure you like, share and subscribe. I'm Adewale Ademalake, founder at A Lake which specialises in property development and development management. We are sponsoring the first season of the Property Development Book Club podcast, which will be out on all platforms soon. So not all domestic clients can afford to have a QS. And you've seen, that, you've seen those programmes with George Clark where somebody wants to do their house extension, they've got a 50k budget, they get an architect in, and the architect's like, yeah, you've got that budget, but let me show you what you could do. At the end of that program, every time they've overspent by like 50%, 50k has gone to 100k every single time. And, and that's why I think like smaller practices add, understand that value that you can add by working with these smaller organisations and give that input to a client who's not going like, to, that, at that scale 50k, probably not appointing a QS. Mm -hmm. Or understanding the value that they could, you know, if, if you could save from that 50k, 10% of that, you've bought your fee, you've created your own fee. I'd always argue that um, you know a QS should be able to at least save their their fee, um, um, a good QS anyway. So I'd always mm -hmm. advocate, not just because I'm a Q, uh, cost manager, <laughs> <laughs> I'd always advocate um, yeah. use of a, of a QS. So what about where the architect's the lead consultant? Isn't it their their responsibility to scrutinise the NEP and the structural? It can't just be for the QS and or even the client, especially when they aren't au fait in structural technology and MEP. Like the the lead consultant, effectively, in a lot of cases, is the architect. Oh, a table shake. I love that. Okay, let's pull that sure on to Amandy. I would just say I would I would say if they are a lead consultant, they're very rarely appointed to be the person that interrogates the costs of those. What they're, what they're <laughs> there to interrogate? <laughs> the problem. No, they're there to interrogate the coordination, the way that they're, those different disciplines work within what they're designing as a whole, but they're not going to be seeing the concrete content and assessing whether that could be cheaper or not. Whereas I think QSs do have rates and they have experience and they often even have those dis like structural engineering NEP expertise within the organisation to interrogate in terms of costs that, and I definitely think in terms of costs that responsibility would still sit with the QS. You know, I think you know what this is. This is this is my biggest concern. Yeah, is architects not all architects? And Hugh, we've spoken about this a few times. Hugh is one of the few. <laughs> <laughs> right? One of the few. <laughs> now, the point is, we talk about 
them being lead consultants. And we as clients pay a premium for having a lead consultant that is going to coordinate things. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yes. A lead consultant means you are leading the design yeah. and in some elements, uh, the quantity surveyor mm-hmm. is part of that deep design team and you work with them to get a, a, a good product at the end. In most cases, it's generally the architect working in their own, maybe coordinating with mm-hmm. the structural engineers, ME, MEP um, guys, yeah? And then the quantity surveyors, the one with the stick, yeah? Mm-hmm. Telling them you need to get cost down. Mm-hmm. And then this client saying, how's all of this fitting together? Because the plans I'm looking at, the columns are in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we are the ones that are paying a ridiculous premium to get a, um, an architect to pay for all of those things and we're not getting a, a, a well-considered coordinated so I, design I would say, and then not coordinate with the quantity oh. surveyors and that is the problem. I, mm. I would say what I have seen from where when I was in private practice working as an architect and under traditional kind of contract, the architect, it was very clear that we were the lead consultants and we were empowered to do so what i've seen however on the side on this side of the uh, fence where arch- with the dmb contract often it isn't made explicitly clear but we have to move that away. the architect is the lead consultant because you know you know when this let's let's move away from dmb because dm by the time we get to dmb the actions already happened mm-hmm. the parties happened yeah. we're just coming to the after party and there's no more drinks left yeah. Yeah? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What we're talking about yeah. is Reba stages zero yeah. to three yeah. and the engagement with a professional team yeah. that you are meant to work with. And that's where the money is. Yeah. So, so my point is, if they're yeah. not coordinating between Reba stages zero to three, yeah. Yeah, as a lead consultant, mm. you've lost it. And so I think often a lot of architects lost it. are not employed from stage zero. Pushes away even, even stage one. Even stage one. And I would say that the big thing still is that making it absolutely clear the architect's scope and empowering the architect but we, a lot to of take that. A lot of people, a lot don't. Even, even, no, even we're not way. expecting you know cost. You're not here. cost on, on cost, let's push aside cost because this is, this, is, this, is, well. this is this is this is what the concerns that we're, that I'm having here. Yeah, what is the purpose of a project? To do what? To make some form of money for someone or some type of return, mm-hmm. so you can no, 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 that is that is regeneration. No, no, is a re- regeneration. You see, this is um, as a development manager. That's not the it end. It's a it, myth to think that projects are not meant to make a financial return. No, they are. They are. But the goal it doesn't but, start. No, no, but I'm only talking in the financial point. So what I'm saying is, you know, this is my problem. Architects are saying, oh, we're not responsible for costs because that's yeah. a lot of the responses I'm getting. Don't point at me. I'm saying that, but that's, that's, that's what I'm hearing at the moment. I'm hearing a lot of, oh, it's a, uh, we know what the quantity the role of job QS is. The is no. an architect's job. <laughs> no, because there's an no, entire. No, but no, you're not understanding what I'm saying. I'm saying that when everyone gets into this mindset that this is my job and this is your job, yeah, we've lost yeah. something yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 the colour the problem is if I say it as a client, I want a project that's gonna give me these outcomes yeah. and it needs to be financially viable. Yeah. Finances is equally as important to the quantity surveyor as it is to the architect. That works the other way around with design You're not to be rude or anything, and I'm gonna this is this is what this is why this thing really gets me. The most important party in a development, yeah, yeah. In, in, in the larger scale, yeah, is the client. Do you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. Do you yeah. agree with yeah. that? Yeah. So, I'm not saying design isn't important, but the needs of the client is more important than everyone else's opinion. 
Do we agree with that? Yeah, well, we all started with that by talking yeah. about the group. Thank you very much. Mm. So, if I'm saying that, the, so we're not most intelligent des, um, clients oh, yeah. are not negating the fact that design is important. Mm. We're not negating the fact that we need to build efficiently, but our objectives need to be on top of it. And this goes back to the point that um, I think someone mentioned it. Some architects believe that their design is more important than the needs of the client. And I've had some very contentious yeah. situations as a result of that dis that, yeah. uh, that disparity. That dispa but, but that's something we've all agreed with. We yeah. know, I know that there are those architects yeah. out there. We're not talking about the kind of ones that are there. That and and the, those those people are there. I fully agree. There are architects there that are there for the awards, yeah. and it's an uncompromising design. But you go to them. Uh, either you don't go to them again if that's not what you want, <laughs> yeah. or when somebody goes to them, they know that they're going to them because they're an uncompromising, and that's what they're they're known for. You don't go to them as a housing designer if you want something else. Even as cost managers, there's certain names that come up. And you hear it's a certain design that we already know. Your starting point is I just want to I just want to cover what we're talking about about the principal um, designer being the architects and controlling all the way through. So I think yes, coordination is mainly their role, and it's yeah. making sure it's important. And the, obviously, the nature of design is you know you make a change. Unfortunately, it's the architect who goes first. Mm -hmm. Spatial layouts, making sure everything's yeah. fixed. The nature of it is then you know once they've got their design fixed. It goes to the structural engineer to have a look at and, and make sure MVP, that it's coordination yeah. and then MEP. So you, you've always got that lag which kind of happens. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is is when engineers are working through their own through, through their work, yes, there are sessions and they'll go through and coordinate. Um, I, th I think it's important that the architect then ensures, you know, as, as yeah. leads, where, where you are lead design. Yeah. But it's ultimately the QS cost manager's um, um, role, like I mentioned earlier, to ensure we've got a stage one cost plan. You know, everyone knows where we are, and then the next stage is state RIBA stage two. So again, mm -hmm. what's changed? There's always going to be challenges on the project. This time it might be the facade. There's there's different reasons why. Um, you know, um, and and it's very rarely one person's fault, right? So yeah, yeah, you, exactly. you can get you can get the yeah. design to stage and three, the, and the, the client's got to change, right? Yeah. The client's decided. Oh, you know, yeah. we've learned on this project, yeah. and then and then everybody's now got to try, and this this is why collaborations key. Yeah. Right? And you've hit it on it, and that yeah. was the point I was trying to make. Is you know that like my requirements is everyone else's problem. Yeah. Your problem is my problem. Yeah. If it's my project, so what yeah. what we're moving away from is our cost is. Um, the QS is no mm. cost is everyone's yeah. problem. Yeah. Profitability is everyone's yeah. problem. Mm. The social value and everything else is yeah. everyone's problem. And, and obviously, up to the point in which they're appointed, and then it just keeps going that that way. So I think that if we can have this collaborative approach, yeah. it takes away the adversary mm -hmm. adversarial relationship that yeah. generally happens between someone like me. Let's have it right. You know, there's always deadlines. You know, there's a planning deadline that, that everyone wants to meet mm. for the architects. You know, the number of drawings that I've got to review yeah. when we get to, you know, a significant project. And, you know, that one change, unfortunately, means you're having to set your yeah. GAs, you know, your mm. general arrangement. Everything's changing. So it is quite stressful. And I think that's the moments where I've seen consultants, consultants just kind of clamp down and just have, yeah. you know, it's about my deadline now and I'm yeah. setting it to my KPIs. Yeah. And that's where I think sometimes it falls apart. So I try my best when I'm, because I see the QS as yeah. a key yeah, project man. lead in terms of the project manager and client team and, and lead. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's very important that culture that that is that is created uh, that everyone pulls okay. together so i'm gonna have to wrap this up yes. we, i think we've already had a grenade thank you very much yeah, we, need, we need another but, one but, <laughs> let's see if we can <laughs>
Or Let's keep falling in love. I've got one more for you, and I think it's kind of tied to everything that we've been saying, actually, in the conversations we've ju just had. So, if architects had a financial interest in a scheme, do you think that would lead to a better financial and uh, not only a financial outcome for the project, but a better project um, overall. I'm going to start with you. Yes or no? I think yes, and but I think also architects always do have a financial, you know, out, outcome in a scheme because okay. it's always about your reputation about the next job as well. So mm. I think that there, I think point. you know, and like you say, you know, there are certain names that will come up, and you know, those those names go around. So I think um, I think yes. And I think your 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 reputation is always part of that consideration. Um, yes, to the whole. You know, I think you're always going to have those people who are you know purists, and and no matter what, you know, there's reasons why people's own individual projects still <laughs> escalate <laughs> and, and, and and increase in price. But on, on, on the general, I'd say yes. Yeah, I'd also say yes. Um, and yes, it's nice that the architect is saying it's all about reputation, but I think. I think you know it's a commercial world and I think that if they're incentivized by financial gain I think it would be an even bigger yes uh, I would say yes but no in the sense that would you want and would you want to start making all of your teams have a financial you know incentive by you know are you talking about something like profit share in, in the end profits yeah. yes and you might not want like I'm, if I wanted to get my house extension and I might not want my bill to have about? a Whatever it is, whatever it is, I, I don't think I, I don't. I think sometimes you employ people for their ex, their expertise, mm. and whilst they're very considerate of the client's objectives and the cost, their expertise yeah, is not there. Yeah. And what you want, you sometimes want them to push the boundaries using their expertise yeah. to then maybe actually come at the profit thing in a different way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't want a quick yes or no because we've heard. So a lot I think the you. first what I do want to say is architects use your QSs throughout the reba stages. That's what that's the main point. And the answer to that is yes. And that then leads to another grenade that I'm going to throw out there. For next time. For next time. <laughs> no, I'll throw it out there. So <laughs> throw it out there. Season two. If you're saying that it would lead to a better outcome. Why is it not happening in the first place? <laughs> okay, thank you very much, everybody. On that note, thank you all very much for tuning in to, to this session. It's been a lot of fun, and um, hopefully, we're all still friends at the end of this. <laughs> but tune in to the next episode from the Property Development Book Club. Thank you.